Welcome to the Geek Teague Podcast, where sometimes we play catch-up. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. And sometimes we play Heinz 57. Duh. Okay, uh, today we're talking about a bunch of stuff. I don't even know everything yet, which is kind of exciting. We've just had our geekery building up, and BJ was out of town, and then I did an episode without him, and it's it's just time to like clear our weekly geekery. And I have a bunch of movie stuff, and a bunch of game stuff, and some book stuff. I don't know where to start. Where do you want to start? Uh, start with your book stuff. I want to know what you've been doing with books. I don't hear about books very often. That's something we've talked about before, that they're just not as much of what we do. So I, I need to know what books you've been doing, okay, reading. Okay, so the main one that I wanted to bring up. So I've read a couple others, and they were okay, but not, like, amazing. But the one that I wanted to talk about on the podcast is this thing called Thing Explainer. Have you ever heard of it? No. I saw this on your notes, and it is completely unexplained on here, despite being Thing Explainer. And uh, it is, I'm really curious because you have XKCD under it. And I was all in on that, wanting to know what it is. So it is by the same guy that does XKCD. It's in his style, okay. like the stick art style, plus diagrams and stuff. Yeah. And he basically gave himself the challenge to explain a bunch of complicated things in the real world only using the 1,000 most common words in the English language. So huh. Thing Explainer is the subtitle is Complicated Stuff in Simple Words. And it is amazing. I read through the whole book and then I gave it to my daughter and she's loving it too. So both of us have been geeking out about it because it's like really complicated things sometimes. Sometimes it's more simple things. Um, but it's, do you, do you remember those books like How Stuff Works? Uh-huh. So yeah. imagine that through the style of XKCD, but you can only use the thousand most common words in the English language. That's what it that, is. That sounds so odd to me like i never even thought about the thousand most common words in the english language but you they would have to be simple that if they're being used that often it's just for communication's sake they would have to be more straightforward it would have to be more straightforward language yeah it's it's really cool so i have a quiz for you i'm looking okay. at the index of this book and every chapter is titled what the thing is, but it's not actually using the name that you would expect in the real world. So you tell okay. me if you know what these things are. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but I'm going to pull out a couple of my favorites. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Heavy metal power building. Uh, construction? Iron? Welding. Nuclear reactor, my friend. Oh, yeah. That is what it is. Yeah. Yep. How about huh. shared space house? Apartment? <laughs> Shared Space House is the International Space Station. Oh, I wasn't thinking about space like that. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, now that you're in the space mode, how about Red World Space Car? The Mars Rover? There you go. Yep, see, you're getting it. Um, Skyboat with turning wings. Airplane? Helicopter. Helicopter. Turning uh, wings. Come on. I was thinking of the flaps on the back of it that, that let it turn when one goes up and one goes down. You're Yeah, mm. I, I see what you're going for, but no, no. No? <laughs> um... How about, here's another space one I liked, the U.S. Space Team's Upgoer 5. The NASA Saturn V rocket? There you go. Yeah, see, you got it. I'll give you an easy one. How about lifting room? Elevator? Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it quits there. Right. Um, this is, I'm holding a physical book, guys. It's weird for me. Um, that is so weird. You, you have a physical book? Yeah, it's diagrams. It's all diagrams, and it's all illustrated, and it's super cool. But that book oh, was okay. amazing. Um, so I had to call it out and I just, I couldn't let it go without giving you a short quiz. So yeah, like, that's awesome. Like that, that makes me so happy. Like that kind of thing that makes me want to go get it right now just to, just to be able to read through it. Yeah. That was like five, five or six. And there's like 
I don't know, 30 in there, 30 for, or 40. There's a lot. They're really, really cool, cool ones. Cool. Yep. So that was the main thing that I wanted to call out for books. Um, I guess the other thing, because I know you and I both have a bunch of games, and we'll probably talk about that for a while. Do we want to dive yeah. into movies? Because you and I both have a couple things. Yeah, I mean, just movies for me, really, more than anything else. Like, we've been catching up on things. Like, Jennifer and I, since I've been out of town, we haven't really sat down to do anything in particular. So we've been watching a lot of, like, TV and movies, like, stand-up specials. So nothing was really special about those. But uh, the one that I actually did really like that we watched... That I didn't actually write in the notes, but you said movies and it reminded me I'd never seen my big fat Greek wedding. And like I was I want to say it was like 2004, maybe something like that. Like I was in college. 2002 it was 2002. And like I was in college, never saw this. And so we decided to watch it. And it is a sitcom rom-com. Like I love it. And I love rom-coms. Don't get me wrong. And the reason I like this one so much is because they never at any point during the movie stress, like have some sort of really inane thing happen to break them up or put stress like from inside the relationship. It's like these people like each other. They care about each other. They, they're in love. And all of the drama comes from outside the relationship. It's not like he took a bet to date the Greek girl or something. It was no, they fell in love and life happens to them. So it was I really liked it for that. That. And then it made me really want a gyro, so I had to go to Tzatziki's the next day and eat a, eat a gyro for lunch yesterday. <laughs> okay. Well, I know you um, wanted to talk about uh, the Star Wars stuff too, right? Because yeah, it was just D D twenty three. I always forget the name of the convention. Yeah, D23 was this weekend. I think it was Friday to Sunday. And like, there's so much D23 stuff out there that that everybody's probably been inundated with it at this point. You know, we get uh, Ms. Marvel and She-Hulk uh, TV shows. We're getting a Moon Knight TV show. They showed posters for Black Widow and um, um, Star Wars and uh, WandaVision and all of this. But Star Wars has really been obviously my, my big thing that I've been excited about. And I was sad because I read that there was a sizzle reel that they showed them, which is also a very stupid name for a trailer. But they had this sizzle reel, as they called it, and at the very end of it, the description said that Ray was in a, in a Sith robe with a uh, double-bladed red lightsaber. And I'm like, what? So, like, the next day, they actually released this online. And I'm assuming you've watched this as well, at least a couple of times. Yeah, I saw it. I, I have some feelings about it. Right, and, like... I figured you do. And so I really want to know what those are, because for me, like, I love the lightsaber. It's folding instead of being like the one long double bladed lightsaber like you see a lot in like the Old Republic games and uh, Darth Maul's like this one folds in half. Uh, so it just expands kind of like a switchblade knife. And so I really like that. And like. I know that this Dark Ray is a troll of some kind. Like, yeah. there's no way that it's not based on how they've done marketing on The Force Awakens. Like, I don't even know if this is going to make it to the final movie based on how they've done with the previous two. But I know this is really their way of stirring stuff up, whether it's a vi Force vision of some kind or a uh, or some sort of Dark Empire thing where she's, like, falling to the dark side for a little while in order to beat like the emperor's force ghost or something. But like, I know this is not, they're, 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 they're messing with us at this point. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I don't think that Ray is going to go that direction because I could see her becoming a gray Jedi, but not going hard Sith. That just doesn't make sense with what they've done so far in the story. And the lightsaber, I don't know how I feel about that lightsaber. It's like two really? lightsabers duct taped together. Like it's, you know, 
It's okay. It's okay. I, well, I really way... want to see her use a double-bladed lightsaber. It's just the folding part that I'm not a fan of. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, why? Why? Like, it'll be okay, but whatever. Utility-wise, I get it. Because, you know, you're not really going to be able to hold it like it's a fork or something and, and fight somebody. But uh, in terms of just keeping it on your uh, your belt like that, folded up instead of having to strap it across your back like a staff, it's just a lot more economical to be able to, to move around with. But... Uh, but people said they hated Kylo Ren's lightsaber as well, and uh, it turned out to be, like, awesome. So it's like, I figure people will get over, not necessarily you, just people in general. The Star Wars fandom is like, they're going to love it when they see it in the theater, and it's fi- she's fighting with it. Oh, yeah, no, uh, I want to see the double-bladed lightsaber. Like, that is a perfect fit for her character. I also think it's a fake-out either. Like you said, she, like, partially falls to the dark side and comes back, or it's a forced vision of something bad that could happen. Or it could be, like, it you know a forced thing where she has to face off against a dark version of herself and like a mirror right. self. Like I could, I could make a bunch of different ways that would work in universe. I don't think that's actually her and the way that the movie's going to go. Um, I was more excited than anything else by seeing like all of the other things that they showed off, you know? So yeah, like the whole fleet of star destroyers was oh my amazing. God. Like that was the coolest shot in the whole thing. And then the other shot that really got me excited was seeing her and Kylo fighting on, I'm assuming it's the Death Star wreckage over the waves. I'm assuming, yeah, because that's that looks just amazing. Like those are the two shots in it that really got me too. Like when I saw all of the Star Destroyers, like I was sitting there watching it with Jennifer, and it was just like I, I actually went, <gasps> oh, whenever that scene happened. So it's I'm a big fan of that like jj abrams understands what i like to see in star wars that more than anything else he understands what star wars aesthetics should look like for me like this is exactly what i love the look of star wars to be yeah i like so i think maybe what i would love in an ideal world is like let ryan johnson write the movie and then have jj abrams direct the movie like, yeah, that might be a really good balance for me. I know it's not going to happen ever, but, you know, no. just speculating. Um, I really, really like the visuals in this one. Like the Force Awakens was amazing for this, too. I think Rise of Skywalker is going to hit the visuals and like the tone of Star Wars perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. We just have to see what happens with the story. So, yeah, I'm excited coming out of that. I will say that I didn't remember until this weekend when Austin pointed it out that the uh, co-screenwriter is also the screenwriter of Batman versus Superman. So I'm... Uh, a little sad about finding that out. Well, Did we'll not. see. It, we don't have yeah. to wait that much longer. We don't. And I'm I'm hoping, you know, I've had faith in them before and they really haven't let me down because I really liked The Last Jedi. Uh, so here's here's crossing my fingers that looks as cool as it, it's going to be as cool as it looks. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So the other stuff with movies for me this week, um, I started catching up on my backlog of like movies and trying out shows. There's a lot of shows I've bounced off of. There's a couple that I'm like one or two episodes into that I'm very interested in, but I want to watch more before I talk about them. So movies that I finished that are actually like worthwhile to talk about. Um, I want to start with Aladdin, which is kind of surprising. So the live action Aladdin, it's it's not good. <laughs> like it's not right. It's not great, right? But it's also not horrible. It has those Disney level production values, but the actors they chose are just like bad and the reason i bring it up is because the movie overall is not as bad as i thought it would be despite still not being great um the thing that was surprising to me was i thought the part that was going to push me away the hardest was will smith as the genie like yeah without a doubt he is the one thing that drew me into this movie and everything Hmm. else was kind of just blah like 
he was the best part of the entire movie and i actually really liked his take on the genie it's not robin williams take on it but it is a take on it and it totally works that's really good to hear i have not seen it and it's one that i it's a disney plus movie for me i think his because uh, it's not gonna be a netflix movie i think it's gonna be when it's on a streaming service that i want to see i will eventually be like you know what i should watch that and and see it because it's aladdin was one of my favorite animated movies as a kid and it's not that i i, I feel like this one is in some way encroaching on the other one it's that this one just hasn't seemed to bring anything new to it that I've wanted to spend the time on. But at least knowing that Will Smith actually does something with the genie is enough to make me want to watch it. I feel like some of the other live action Disney movies that they've come back and like remade the animated movies, they do a new spin on it. They do something different. They add something or take something away that makes sense. Um, like it's it's slightly different. Even if it's not hugely different, it is different enough. Right. This one doesn't do that. Like, this is just straight up the same story without, like... Yeah. I mean, there are maybe minor changes, but it's not enough to make it feel different. So you can't help but compare it to the animated one. And I think that's where they went wrong with it. But, yeah, like I said... I wanted to bring it up because if you have stayed away from this movie because of Will Smith as the genie, I can tell you that that's not a good reason to stay away from it. There are lots of other good reasons, but that's not one of them. So I watched that. And then I also watched Godzilla King of the Monsters, which has been on my list to just check out because I guess I don't know if I've ever talked about it, but I I like a good monster movie, but I won't ever go out of my way to see it. I'll wait till it comes to me or it's on streaming or whatever. And Godzilla King of the Monsters is probably my favorite Godzilla movie that I've ever seen. Oh, now, wow. Granted, I haven't seen every Godzilla movie. I haven't gone right. back to the classics, but I've seen every like modern one. I feel like there's like four now, four or five or something like that. I think so-ish, yeah. Yeah. This is my favorite one. Like, it is, it's a fun monster movie. It knows exactly what it is, right? Like, it does not take itself too seriously. The characters Good. in the universe take the situation seriously, but watching right. it, you know that the people making this movie know that it's supposed to be like a B movie. It's it's right. like a B horror movie. It is not supposed to be serious, grim, dark, or like some of the other things, the other directions they've tried to take Godzilla to make it like realistic and gritty. This isn't that. This is mm-hmm. like a dumb story that gets you a bunch of monsters that fight each other. And yep. that was perfect. Like if you want to watch Godzilla and like all of these other monsters from Godzilla history fight each other, Godzilla King of the Monsters is actually a really good movie for that. Well, that's one of the things I like about Pacific Rim. Those are some of my favorite monster movies in years because they're they're really pretty. They take themselves seriously within the world, but not so much the uh, the movies itself. Guillermo del Toro doesn't take them too seriously, like like that they're grimdark, the way you put it. And it's like there are monsters coming up out of the ocean, and these giant robots have to beat them up. It's... I love that. Like, I want to see Godzilla just because of what you said. There's a bunch of monsters, and they fight each other. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Pacific Rim. Like, that was the kind of vibe that this movie was putting out. So, if you like Pacific Rim, if you like that kind of movie... Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters fits in perfectly with that tone. And I liked the first Godzilla movie. When they did it, I was really excited. I went to the theater to see it with uh, Jennifer and one of our friends. And uh, like it was it was enjoyable. It wasn't great by any means, but I don't think any any of these types of movies that are put out for this purpose are like great film. It's not great cinema. It's uh, It's exactly what you go in for. And I'm glad that this one succeeded at that. Yeah, and I think this is the one that's part of, like, a slightly shared universe. Like, 
they haven't gone out of their way to be like, ooh, Godzilla universe. You know, not like like the DC yeah. universe got ahead of itself and announced all that. Um, this is just, I'm pretty sure it's a follow-up to the 2014 Godzilla movie. And also right. there's like a Kong Skull Island movie that I never saw. I think yeah. all of those share the same universe because there were hints of uh, it okay. towards the end. And there were things in the story that was like, making me think that it's the same thing as the last Godzilla movie that came out. So yeah. there's probably cohesive tissue there. And then the all, the last piece of like movie stuff I want to talk about was that I finished the MCU phase two with my kids. So the one of the things here I had to let you know about is that I think I'm changing my ranking for Iron Man 3 and Thor 2 slightly. Like I would have gone to bat before for Thor 2 being the worst movie in the MCU and mm-hmm. Iron Man 3 being the second worst movie. And now those are reversed, which is not, oh, no. not saying a lot because they're both at the bottom of the list still. <laughs> I'm not going to change that. Um, but yeah, I mean, on rewatch and seeing them in the context of like everything we know now, um, Thor 2 is way better than I remember. Like, it's still really lo- low in my MC rankings, um, but it's a lot better with the context of Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame. And it's part of a complete character arc now, even though it feels pretty weak in isolation. But Iron Man 3 is just worse than I remember it. Like, it's absolutely the bottom of my MCU rankings. There's no question in my mind. It is the only MCU movies that my kids were, like, actively bored during. They were just, huh. like, they could not pay attention. They're, like, oh, like, they're sighing. Like, they didn't... I, I looked at them, I was, like, do you guys want to watch this movie? And they're, like, uh, yeah, we want to watch all of them. And I was, like, what if I just tell you kind of what happened and we skip ahead and they were like oh my gosh could we do that please like they were so bored during this movie and i'm the exact opposite like thor 2 is so much worse than i remember it being that it is just like bottom of the barrel mcu for me like i think the incredible hulk might be better than thor 2 and uh iron man 3 like i don't understand why other people don't like iron man 3 that jennifer and i both watched it we're like this is a perfectly good movie this is a good movie to watch it's it's partly because we look at the characters and we like where they're going we like what they're doing with those people and uh like i have problems with the uh, the way that they you know completely ruined tennessee like they got nothing right about Tennessee and that's where I'm from and it's like snow doesn't happen where they were like Chattanooga is the like tech hub of Tennessee where like they're the uh, like fast one of the fastest growing cities in the nation like they, they got everything wrong about where they were but it's uh like I I think the movie as a whole like I really like it like I still I'll go to bat for this one saying that they did a lot of really good things, even though the whole extremist thing uh, could have been handled a lot better. <laughs> yeah. And I know we've had that conversation a couple times, so I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. But I just needed to say that, like, my ranking on those two flipped around, which is interesting. And then that I, is interesting. I actually liked phase two a lot more um, in general. Now that I have the context from Infinity War and Endgame, it's still probably the weakest phase of the MCU. And I say probably, but I'm pretty sure of it. But it's it's slightly better than I remember because now that it has the context, now that we have the whole Infinity Saga, I see a lot more of what Phase 2 is doing and getting ready for later on. And then the last thing I want to mention with Phase 2 is that my kids just absolutely loved Ant-Man, which is mm. so fascinating to me because I thought it was okay. Like, it was an okay movie, right? It's probably in the bottom. Yeah fourth of my rankings like it's not super high but it wasn't bad i wouldn't classify yeah, it as it's a not bad, bad movie. at all they were just laughing they were laughing so much i haven't seen 
like them laugh that hard and I don't even know how long there's something about watching it with kids that like makes me understand what this movie is doing a lot more I'm not the target audience and neither are you like no no this is a movie for kids and they get it and it's just funny to them to see people like shrink and grow big and like I don't know Paul Rudd just works so he gave me such a better appreciation for that movie than I had before my nine-year-old nephew, after like he just loves them, and after he saw Iron Man, not Iron Man two, Ant Man two, and all the stuff that was going on in Infinity War and um, uh, what's the new one, um, Endgame, he said that Paul Rudd was his favorite actor. That uh, based on those movies alone, and it's like you can't watch anything else that Paul Rudd has ever been in, but you love him so much because of of Ant Man that he just he just adores him. I mean, and I love the Rudd. But but it was it was really funny. Like, yeah, he just he just works for kids. He does. It was great. So that was really cool to see. And I was like, oh, okay, this movie's not for me. It's for them. But they love it. So that made me like the movie more because of that. Yeah. Um, I think everything else we have for Geekery is games and we have a lot. So let's take a quick break to do our Geeky Offer of the Week. What do we have this week? Uh, this week, I would like to remind you guys to go download PodCoin. We have a lot of users, a lot of users, we have a lot of listeners who uh, use this app. It lets you earn PodCoins, which are points that you can use to redeem for gift cards. We really like them. Uh, we use this. Like I said, we have listeners who use this, and it's not a scam. Uh, so you can actually do this. You can go to uh, PodCoin.com and uh, download it, and you can use the the code GEEK to get 300 extra. Uh, we also have a Patreon that you can visit at patreon.com slash geek to geekcast And I bring this up because we've had some new patrons, and I owe them real nice thank yous. So I want to thank X, put name here, X. You are a fantastic person, and I love you. Thomas, you are one of those people whose name is Thomas, and that is great for you. And Alex Ogan, I don't know how to say your last name, but thank you, Alex Ogan, Ogan, Ogan. I don't know, but I love you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah, that's great. We always love seeing new Patreons hit the Patreon, hit the service, hit the stream. I don't know yeah. what's proper in that context. Um but it's so cool Joining to see people. Us. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's the number one way you can support the podcast. And after our big discussion last week, that was very meta and it was about podcasts. But I think we're going to work on doing some exclusive stuff for Patreons. It's not going to be anything crazy that wouldn't fit on the main feed because we don't want to like hold content back from people. But we're going to try to do something. So we're working on that behind the scenes. Yep. Um, besides that, around the network this week, Geekitude, they talked about fandoms and using fandoms in therapy, which was super interesting. It was a fascinating interview that they had this week. Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. They spent the episode interviewing each other, which was really fun. Just like they, I mean, they know each other, but it was like a little bit of them getting to know each other slightly deeper, but more it was them interviewing each other so the audience can get to know them better. That's a really good idea, too. That may be something that you and I could steal from them. Yeah, I could. I like that idea a lot. Um, and then, and sometimes Rob had an episode. He did a quick episode on his own where he talked about like his quick reactions to San Diego Comic Con news, and then he talked all about like his history with cosplay and why he cosplays and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, Troidal is streaming on Thursday mornings. Capsule J streams Tuesdays from eight to eleven p.m. Eastern, and sometimes Thursdays and weekends. And then, what was on the Geekery this week? 
Uh, the Geekery this week had uh, Austin's Dragon Quest quest with, uh, he was talking about his final thoughts on Dragon Quest Builders 2. Um, the 13th story hasn't updated because of Bobby getting a new job and into like life. And then I actually posted a blog that I can't remember if I mentioned last week about that was a roundup of all the podcasting resources that I had written for work. That uh, if you want to know about any of like the, the overviews, rundowns, and like things that you need to know about podcasting, you can uh, check out uh, geek2geekmedia.com slash geekery and get there. Okay, cool. So with that being said, let's do more Weekly Geekery, even though that's the whole episode. Um, I want to talk about games because everything else on our list is games. I have one super quick one. Do you have a couple quick ones too? Yeah, I have a couple of quick ones. Okay, hit me with a quick one. I've been playing Dragon Quest Rocket Slime, and this one is cute. Like, it's an old DS game, 2D. Um, we're probably going to do a DQFM episode on it soon but i wanted to bring it up here because it is silly like it is a silly little puzzly action rpg hybrid thing where you actually play as one of the dragon quest slimes and it's like you're collecting things and like you get a giant tank that fights other tanks it's ridiculous and the art style is just so cute that uh that it's a totally different kind of game than any of the others and the puns in it are non-stop and it makes me so happy so if you're interested uh check out rocket slime and then Jennifer has been playing a lot of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. I'll play it with her some, but she's been playing it a lot more while I was gone uh, to podcast movement. And I've been watching a lot of this. And last night we were playing together and we worked through uh, Adelon and Wakanda together. And Wakanda, this is the furthest I've been in the game, by the way. And Wakanda has these little snipers. They're purple in the background, like different parts of the area. And on, I think I'm on Mighty is what it is, the the normal mode, the hard mode. I don't know which it is. But they can basically two-shot characters that are level 40-ish. And uh, that's a little higher than the level uh, of everything else in the area. So it's like they're two-shotting us. And, like, I'm rage quitting. Like, I finally just stopped. Like, I'm yelling, and she's like, maybe you need to calm down. I'm like, yeah, maybe I do. And just, like, she, I was like, I just, I'm done. And, like, I rage quit. She persevered, though, and she beat them. And uh, I told her, I was like, go ahead and do it. I was like, Void says that everything gets easier on one player. You can do this. I was like, I'm just going to get mad and not have fun anymore. And she did. She went through and uh, beat that part of it. I was so proud uh, that she beat it uh, because I didn't ever have to play it again. And then uh, she just went, uh, I'm better at games than you. I'm better at video games. And so it was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> like Deadpool is... Yeah, it was it was great. I just I was like, yes, you are, and I'm mad. Uh, and I was like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at that game. And uh, like, I apparently rage at Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and uh, it's not good for me. Uh, Deadpool is still my favorite character. I just love playing as him. But I learned about a character in the uh, universe that I didn't know about. Um, I don't know how far you've gotten into the uh, into the game. Have you beaten it yet? Um, no, but I feel like I'm right around the spot where you are. So, like, did you see... Have you gone to the uh, Inhuman world, Adelon? And, yeah, we did uh, that whole part. So, Thane, that, that Inhuman who is Thanos' legit kid, is really weird. Like, I had no idea this character existed, that he's just this scrawny, elf-looking Thanos, and I had no idea that he was a thing. And so now I really want to look him up in the actual comics and learn about this, because I thought all Thanos did was was like he did in the MCU and have these kids that he basically took as as his children. But no, he has an actual genetic child named Thane and he looks like him and he's really, really a nice guy and it's weird. 
but I didn't know he existed. And so I just had to bring him up. That is weird. I thought that was weird, too. I didn't know. I'm sure it's from the comics. I'm sure tons of people know about it. But yeah, I had no idea that was a thing either. Yeah, I'm not an Inhumans fan, so I don't know anything really about them. And I don't know a whole lot about the cosmic stuff in the comics. So whenever I saw him, I was like, I got to talk about that just because I'm it's neat. And I actually learned something here. Yeah. Also didn't know that Gorgon had hooves. I thought he just had feet. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have a couple other quick hits too. My main one that's super fast is Gears Pop, which I tried out. And it's out on mobile. It's, you know, it's a Gears of War game, but it's also a Funko Pop game, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, I'm willing to give it a shot because I've liked Gears of War in the past and Funko Pop is okay. I don't love it, but it's all right. Um, it's it's disappointing, not because of the style or this, the aesthetic or the IP, it's just the same game that I've seen so many times on mobile. It's oh. It feels exactly like every other one in the genre. And I don't know what this genre is called, and I don't know if it has a name yet, but they all play almost identically. It's the kind of game where you either get units or you get cards, and each of them costs energy, and you have an energy bar that slowly fills over time. So you could have like a weak unit that costs two, and then you drag it out onto the battlefield, and it marches towards your enemy until it that kills them or attacks yeah. them or gets defeated. And then you have one that costs five or one that costs seven, and they're more powerful. You know the kind of game I'm talking about, right? It's like yep, I Clash do. of Clans, like, it, and it's like, I mean, Gears Pop is one of them. I know there's like a Titanfall game that does the exact same thing. There's Command and Conquer that does the same thing. I feel like there's 10 or 15 different IPs out there, if not like hundreds that I just haven't run into, and they all play exactly the same. Like, is it like Mobile Arena or something like that? Like, I know what kind it is. I don't know what it actually is called, but it's that they're fun for very short periods of time. And then they end up just losing their appeal because of too many gotcha mechanics or they they either ramp up in difficulty to the point where you're just you're unable to do it without the gotcha mechanics or that it's just like, OK, I've played this and it's the exact same thing every time I'm, I do this and it just becomes not fun. Yeah. So that's that's how I felt. This is exactly how I felt. I played it for two nights and that was about perfect. And then I deleted it and I'm never going to go back to it. It's done. And I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't even know this one had come out, actually. So I I Googled it and looked it up as you were describing it. And it's exactly what you said. It's a Funko Pop Gears game. It's not doesn't look bad by any means. Looks very highly produced. It's just one of those games. It's just one of those games. It's not bad. It's just that's what it is. It's exactly what you would expect it to be. And the thing is, like, I know that I'm I could totally be a hypocrite here because if you put out like a Star Wars game or something and it plays exactly the same, but it has characters and units and an art style that I like, I might be able to get hooked on it. Like, you never know, right? Sometimes it's just like that IP resonates yep. with you. So if you like Gears of War, there's no reason not to try it out. Like I said, it's not a bad game. It's just like all these other games that already exist. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was with, like, Marvel Strike Force for me. It's I'd bounced off of a ton of other games like that. The DC one, uh, I was playing the Star Wars one, but the Marvel one, it was like, oh, yeah, I like this. I like these characters. I like this art style. Everything clicked. And I played it forever. And I still go back to it sometimes where sometimes it's just, that's what you want, but not bad by any means. It doesn't look like. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I had, uh, I think it's quick-ish, um, Magic the Gathering Arena update for Core 2020. So I've still been playing this 
consistently, but I haven't been talking about it every week because there's not a ton right. new. But I did do a bunch of stuff for the course at 2020, and I have a lot of it now, so I just wanted to like run through it really quick. This is probably going to be the last time I update until the next like actual set comes out in the fall. I think it's out like end of September-ish. Um, okay. But I ended up doing my first draft where I didn't get absolutely crushed from beginning to end, which felt good. I didn't do super well. It's nothing like... Like, I usually do fairly well in sealed, but not yeah. at all in draft. And this is the first time I did draft, and I just didn't get destroyed every time. So, And this is arena, not live. This is arena. Yep, this was all okay. arena. So I bought the season pass in arena because I do play enough to get my money's worth out of it. Um, now that I've been playing it for like a solid, I don't know, month, month and a half since it came out, I would say that the pass is worth it. The season path is worth it if you play at least every three days so you're like getting mm. all the daily quests in then it's probably worth buying if you're not playing at least every three days and like clearing out your daily quests i don't think it's worth the money that's kind of like the line that i drew there so if you're only playing once a week i don't think it's probably worth it for you but if you're playing like i am you know i don't play every night but i play probably every other night it's about right so yeah it's it's good it gives you a lot of cards over time you just don't see them the same way that you did before the way that it used to be structured yeah. and then i also got the planeswalker decks so we grabbed the five monocolor decks there's five of them this time instead of just like two or three like normal it was interesting like the ajani and soren decks are both life gain in different ways black and white blue is flying green is creatures yeah. i was really surprised how much i liked the chandra deck which is red you know um one of the things mm -hmm. i really liked about black decks in general is that they have a lot of removal and this red deck had a lot of that you know it wasn't the same type yep. of removal that i'm used to with a black deck but it had similar themes in it and i like that a lot yeah like you're blasting things with fireballs and lightning shocks and things like that instead of uh, destroying them and banishing them with uh, with rot or negative two negative two and things like that yeah and it had some cool like chandra planeswalker cards in it too she was kind of the theme for core 2020 so yeah her decks have a, there's like five or six different planeswalker versions of her that you can have that are all standard legal right now so you can have them oh, all wow. in the same deck and make really interesting red decks right now which is fascinating and then i was kind of getting i don't know i mean it's a core set so it doesn't do a whole lot that's new right it's basically like reiterating the fundamentals getting some cards into rotation that are going to be there for a long time and because of that, I went back and I was like, you know, I need to make some new decks. I need to like do something to change it up for myself because this set didn't really do that for me. Whereas the one before it, and I'm sure the one that's coming out in the fall will, you know, because they have so many new right. things about them. Um, but this was just a core set. So I went back and I made a wolf deck. And it's interesting because it's kind of working. It's like <laughs> wolf. It's like token boosting. It, you can add some counters. I have some proliferate in there. It feels not refined. It feels sloppy. But also I've won a bunch of games with it. And I'm super happy right. with myself because this is legitimately the first deck that I've ever made from scratch that I have been consistently winning games with. Oh, good. That's awesome. Yeah, so it was really good. I, I really hope that the fall set has more that I can add to this because some of the ones that I like in there right now are going to fall out of rotation. But there are things in the core 2020 set that makes me think there's more wolf stuff coming just based on what I'm seeing. So I, I have my eye out for the fall set. We'll see what happens. And then 
I looked into making a dino deck that I was interested in, and it would be so expensive in terms of wild cards that mm. I didn't want to do it right now. And the other thing was a bunch of those dinosaurs are going to fall out of rotation in like a month, so it wasn't worth it to use all of them for that. Although that's I looked true. at it, and it looks like a lot of fun. So I've seen other people running it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. If I had more wild cards, I would. And I made an elemental deck that's like super popular right now. It's so fun. It's like a combo crazy um, elementals that combo off each other. And my brain gets a little melty when I try to play it because there's so much going on. Usually, if you can get a handful of elementals out there, especially with the right one or two, you end up winning. So it's super interesting. And it's a three-color deck, which this is the first time I've really done a three-color deck consistently. So that was a first for me, too. And so you have to be... You have to have a really good mana mix to be able to do a tricolor deck that that I don't do them very often when I make them myself. I, I tend to get the get list for those and get those off the Internet. Oh, yeah. No, I did. A hundred percent. This is a net deck. OK. Yep. Um, and then the last deck that I want to talk about is I finally gave in and I made RDW. Have you seen this deck? I uh, don't know if I've seen this one. So it stands for Red Deck Wins because <laughs> it just nope. wins. Like, you don't win everyone, but you win more than 50-50, right? Which 50-50 is usually kind of the measure of a decent deck, is if you can win about half your games. This yeah. wins more like 60 or 70% of games that you take oh, it wow. into. And I gave in because you can get, like, you get experience for your first 15 weekly wins now. And I was just getting frustrated having to grind those out. Now I can just use this deck and I'll just get them really fast, which it feels like cheating, but it just works. It works so well. And I, the thing is, when I started, I didn't actually like playing it that much, but it made winning easy, so I would do it anyway. And now I'm actually coming around to the fact that I kind of like this deck. I like what it's doing. It's doing something that's very interesting and it's like it's elegant in a way even though most people who would play regularly would probably want to hit me for that because it's so annoying to play against but it's a very very well crafted deck and i love piloting well crafted decks and i like i don't what does this do like why is it so why is it so good it does a bunch of things but the main thing is that it's fast so it's a, it's a really fast deck to get out and be aggressive with and then You just need to get this Experimental Frenzy card in your hand. And what Experimental Frenzy does is you can put it out there. It's like an enchantment, so it stays on the board. And it makes it so you can no longer play cards from your hand, but you can play them off the top of your deck. So basically the way the mana curve is set up is that it's a super fast deck. You'd be super aggressive for the first like four-ish turns. And then by around turn five, hopefully you have an Experimental Frenzy. And you're basically empty-handed at that point. Like, you've used everything in your hand because the deck is so fast. So you play Experimental Frenzy, and then the rest of the game, you just play off the top of your deck. And you can always see the top card of your deck. So the only thing that really limits you at that point is either how much mana you have or if you run into two land cards on the top of your deck at this like in a row. Yeah. But if you don't do that, you can hit so many of these cheap, fast cards that you can go from basically having nothing on the board to having like a full board in one turn. No problem. That does sound kind of kind of insane. I would be irritated to play against that deck. So, yeah, I understand wanting it to rotate out. Yeah, I mean, I was irritated playing against it, which is why I finally made it. I was like, I want to understand this better so I can fight against it. And then once I realized how much I was just winning, I was like, well, this is a good tool to get weekly wins. So I'll keep doing that, too. Yeah, when you have something like that, use it. And then when you're actually playing for fun, don't like if it's not fun to play. 
oh yeah, no, I'm not playing with it just for fun. I play with it to get the wins and then I kind of move on. But at the same time, it's going to rotate out in September once the next rotation hits or October, whenever the next changeover is. So that'll be good. So those are kind of my quick ones. Um, I think you and I both just have Fire Emblem left, right? Yeah, I think so. Like I, well, I know we're going to talk about Three Houses, but I did want to uh, mention that I started playing Fire Emblem Fates uh, Conquest. I got it for my trip and I left the Switch here at home and Je- with Jennifer to play the other stuff. And so I was like, I'm still really into Fire Emblem. I want to play this. And apparently... Fire Emblem Three Houses is a lot more newbie friendly that on a normal and casual, it really had me spoiled. So when I had moved up to hard mode in Three Houses, um, it's still easier than hard mode in Conquest. Um, it's so hard that it was frustratingly hard that I, stopped, that I just stopped playing it for a bit. I finally got to the point where I could lower the difficulty and I like it a lot better. But uh, if I I had not played three houses first then i would have been super mad at wasting my money on this game because <laughs> okay. i enjoy it but if i'd put it on hard mode and just been like oh yeah i've played strategy games before even on casual i would have i would have been super mad because i don't I don't understand why it was so hard. Like, I may be bad at strategy games, but apparently I also chose Conquest, which is the harder of them, which is more of the traditional Fire Emblem style. So I just kind of went went about it the entire wrong way. But it's it's really fun, and I do like it so far. So I'm, I'm glad that I got it. Yeah, Conquest is the harder one. Birthright's easier. Um, Birthright is definitely more newbie-friendly. And then the other thing is, I'm pretty sure that hard mode in three houses is equivalent to like normal mode in the last two before that so in fates and in awakening um yeah if you go down to normal mode on those you will be at about the same difficulty level as hard mode was in fire emblem three houses like three houses is extremely newbie friendly and extremely forgiving which is great but also you can't take the difficulty settings that you had in that and apply them backwards because you're gonna be in trouble just like what you ran into yeah like rage trouble like where i've run into games recently that i haven't run into in a long time that have made me mad because of difficulty and so this one like i've said before if i get that mad not having fun i'll turn the difficulty down and i I hardcore did like it is no way am I ever doing these on these old ones on a hard mode. It's it's but it's fun. I like the mechanics. I do. It's different enough from three houses like they had changed enough up to uh, make this feel like it's not just a rehash that of. Well, it wouldn't be a rehash of what I just played, but more of the same, I guess. Cool. But you have been playing more Fire Emblem Three Houses, right? Yeah, I beat it. I don't remember where we were the last time that we actually talked about it and did an update, but I beat it on the Black Eagle campaign. I think it was, was it Crimson Lotus, the path that I took? That um, sounds right. I think it's the same one that you took. I think we went yeah, the exact same way. We did. And so I, I beat it in normal mode 
like like we just said, it was pretty easy uh, on casual, especially it was super easy. So I chose Blue Lion on the next playthrough uh, because of the way that the story paths interacted and I wanted to see what was going on. So the Blue Lion characters are way less interesting than uh, than the Black Eagle ones or the uh, Golden Deer because I'd recruited pretty much all of them through the first game. Uh but I really do like Dimitri. Like all of the support stuff that I've seen with Dimitri so far, I really, really like him because he seems like a very good person. And of the characters that I've played and like I like in the game, it's like I kind of just want to marry Dimitri right now, despite all of the others. It's like I don't care what their relationships are. It's like I'm gonna end up with Dimitri because he's gonna treat me nice. And it's like I like him. And uh I think my biggest regret of playing through the first time is that I wasn't able to get all of my support levels up to max. I mean, the game just ended for me. Like, maybe it's because I was expecting it to go on. I don't know. When it ended, it just ended, and I had to start a new game plus. Um, I was expecting to be able to have a little more time to be able to go back uh, to do my social stuff, because when I was trying to rank up certain relationships to S, it said you can only advance this relationship further once the war is over, or something along those lines. And then it gave me like one shot to pick a marriage option and then that was who I was with like there was no other game there was no other like advancing other relationships it didn't even like I wanted to be able to do this and so now I'm gonna have to do that in another game a playthrough because that was something I was planning on doing at the end of the game not so much just the end game yeah, I I think that one of the things that I noticed was that it felt a little bit short. Um, not like crazy short or anything. It was still long. I took me 45 hours, I think, somewhere right around yeah, there. Yeah, I think it was 43 for me. Yeah, but in terms of like the narrative arc and the story and the fact that I've played the other Fire Emblem games that came right before this one, um, I expect there to be like a couple more chapters. Like nothing mm-hmm. crazy, but like another two or three. And so I looked it up afterwards and the one the route that you and I did is actually the shortest out of all of them. All oh, of the other ones okay. have somewhere between like two and five more story missions. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so did we, and I had a feeling like, I think I mentioned it on here before. I know I mentioned it in Discord, but I'm not sure if I did on, on the podcast that I have a feeling that we chose the bad ending. I do too. And I want to talk about that, but we, it's very spoilery. So let's hang on to it for the very end. Okay, cool. Okay. Cool. So that, that, that's good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Like that was no. the, the thing. It's like I, I I liked the ending. Like that's the thing. I liked how everything, you know, I loved the story in the game, but I'm like, that's where it ended? I guess it's kinda like Chrono Trigger when you get to some of those endings, like, oh, that's the end? Yeah. Right, so I, I okay. Let's <laughs> I have a couple other things and then we are gonna talk about that because right. I need to talk about it too. Um the Overall, the time jump, I thought that was really cool. And I know it's not really a hidden thing that there's a time jump in this game. You jump forward five years, and then you... I'm not even going to talk about the story around it. You jump forward five years, um, and things have changed, and the war is basically on. I mean, you knew some kind of war, some kind of struggle was going to break out, right? The first thing that I noticed right away is that Edelgard's hair is just on point. Oh, my God. Like, it's so good. 
the like the big bun thing on her head. Yes. I hate it so much. Like I I do not like it. Like in New Game Plus, you can choose what um you can choose what look people have, and I would so totally use her her before jump look. Like I do not like her weird Padme hair. <laughs> Okay. Like that was one of the few things in the in the jump I didn't like. Like I love the way that almost everybody else looks when they grow up a little bit. But Edelgard's hair is actually one of the few things I specifically didn't like. I'm glad that it worked for you though, because it it's not that means it's not a bad design. It means that I'm picky. Yeah, no, it worked for me. I thought her hair was awesome. Um, so I just had to mention that. But I spent a lot of time recruiting like non-house characters, and I thought mm-hmm. I would have a little bit more. I couldn't quite tell where the time jump was going to come until like right before it. So I know how to tell. I figured out how to tell. Well, I know now uh, because I've beaten the game. But well, no, no. For people who are listening, like there is okay. actually a tell when the uh, when the time jump is going to happen. If you look at your paralogs, it will tell you when they're available to. And when I played it, at least. They were always available until the same date, which turned out to be the date of the final mission that uh, started the time jump. So yes. if you look at your paralogs, that's when uh, the time jump will happen. So just pay attention to that. That's exactly how much time you have to do all of your stuff. Yeah, I did recruit a lot of Noun House characters. So I got mo- not all of the ones that I'm interested in, but I think on my second playthrough, I'll probably have caught up and done like everyone that I was super interested in, which is right. cool. Um I one of the other things I felt like I didn't quite have enough time for in this playthrough and again it might come down to the fact that I think we took the shortest path and we took the bad ending without realizing it um or maybe not the bad ending but like the evil ending anyway we'll talk about that in a second um I felt like I didn't have enough time <laughs> yeah. for advanced classes like the highest level the master classes um I had a couple of them by the end of the game but I didn't have as many as I was kind of anticipating that I would have based on past fire emblem games Hmm. I had quite a few. Like my main, my main team was in master classes. Um, I think there was only one or two, maybe one or two, yeah, that didn't have their master and were still on their advanced. I think maybe I just didn't plan it well. Maybe I was only looking at trying to get them up to advanced, and I wasn't thinking ahead to what skills they would need to get to the master level. That's something I'll definitely do different on my next playthrough is like, right. I'm just going to set them on skills right away that will get them towards like those end goals that I actually want them to hit because yes. it makes a huge difference. So that was one of the things for me. Um, one of the other things was that I ended up turning the animations off after almost no time because I usually yes. do that with Fire Emblem. Um, I did leave for most of my first playthrough. I left the animations on for my turn when I'm attacking. And that was it mm-hmm. because sometimes those are interesting. But now that I've started a new game plus, I've just turned off all animations because it's like, nope, I've spent enough of my life seeing those. I'm good. Like you don't actually need them to get the gameplay enjoyment out of it. Right. So that's something that if you guys are looking to speed up the game, you can turn off the animations and it's still a great game. Like you don't really miss anything. And I did get everybody to full support ranks around chapter 15, which felt amazing. It was so good. And by the time I got to the end of the game, that paid off because if you have people with full support ranks with each other, you get some like, extra ending things with them in their epilogue like they can get together they can have like romance they can do things together after the story ends which i didn't realize but you have to have them at like the a rank with each other and they can do what now i didn't get any of them to a rank apparently yeah they can like get married and they can do like they can have you know how at the very end of the game you get that like epilogue per character no yes yes i do 
Okay. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get like a little bit of story for each individual character. And maybe it's uh-huh. not every character, but it's every character that like you have a high enough rank with at the very least. Right. I wouldn't know because I like maxed out everybody. Um, but if you have two characters that aren't your main character and they have like max support rank with each other, you can end up in situations where they will have extra things that happen to them in that post-credit part. So like they can get married or they can have a relationship or they can have like interactions afterwards. So they'll have like a combined epilogue instead of separate ones. Oh, I apparently did not do that with anyone. So I'm going to make sure to do that with with the Blue Lions playthrough. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So like I said, I beat it around like 45-ish hours. You know, this game is totally in the running for my game of the year. Like, yeah. I don't see any way this doesn't make the top five. There's like, there's no way that it falls off the top five. It might be game of the year. I don't know yet. I want to play it more and I need some more distance from it to think about it. But I really, really like this game. It's very, very good that I didn't, I wasn't going to get it. And then I just kind of decided to after hearing people talk about how good it was. And then I became obsessed with playing it. And I say that in the best way possible. It's just like I wanted to play more. I was compelled to see what was going on. And I liked these characters, which I didn't really expect to like the characters. But I really, really did. And I, I can't wait to play through it again. I mean, I'm playing through Rocket Slime right now for the other podcast, and then I'm going to probably be getting back on to get a different playthrough of Three Houses, um, even over Fire Emblem uh, Fates Conquest, uh, just because I like these characters so much. I don't know if we've ever had a game before that you and I were both hooked on it to the point where it was the only thing we were both playing, and you beat the game before me. Like, that's how into this game you were. You beat it before I did, and it was the only thing both of us were playing. That is... Maybe the first time that's ever happened. I think it might be. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, I got super into this game. Now, you got a little bit more in-depth into it because you knew the social stuff, especially from other Fire Emblem games. But like, I, I loved it so much. Like, I can't recommend this one enough to people that this one is going to have a solid place on my Switch. I'd got it digitally that I can't see any reason I'm going to be like removing this from my switch uh, for space anytime soon well one of the really cool things was to see how we built our characters differently too yeah so i needed to ask who your favorite characters were but before i do that i have to say that for me this run i think bernadetta was my donald of this game and i need to ask do you understand that reference do you know who donald is in fire emblem no i don't like i see this on your notes and i'm like i don't know what that means okay so donald is a character in fire emblem awakening so if you go back and end up playing awakening keep this in mind he is a character that's a villager that you have to like i I can't remember if you have to save him or if you have to go talk to him in the middle of a mission to recruit him it's not somebody that you'll auto recruit you have to like kind of jump through a hoop or two it's pretty easy but you have to make sure you do it to get him as a character and then after you recruit him he is horrible he is the worst character that you have by far his stats are just abysmal and what you can do (laughs) is he can become the single most powerful character in that entire game because his stats are horrible when they start, but he has the best stat growth of anybody in that game. So he starts as a weakling, and it is just a slog to try to get him any experience because in Fire Emblem, you either have to, like, participate in the battle or get the kill or, like, do something active to get experience, and it is hard with him right away. If you do the work and you jump through the hoops, Donald is a killing machine by the end of that game. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it is amazing. And so Bernadetta was that for me. She was weak at the beginning, but I was like, no, she's a weakling. I'm going to put in the time and put in the effort to make her a killing machine. By the end of the game, she would kill people with her bow from horseback from miles away, and they wouldn't even see it coming, and it was amazing. So I loved it was- that. It was so great. Like, she did the same thing for me. Like, Bernadetta was the reason, actually, that solidified my choices in uh, the Black Eagles. That I was I was really torn on a few of the characters, and I thought Bernadetta was quirky enough that I would enjoy interacting with her. So it was it was actually really hard not to uh, d- to decide not to marry Bernadetta and uh, and spend my life with her. But I really liked her arc. I liked her character arc, and then she was exactly the same. I think that may have been one of the few that lined up in terms of our team that she was a bow knight and would just wander around her and Shamir would just wander on on horseback and just shoot people beyond walls and like take down the boss of some levels by just standing next to a wall where they couldn't get to you and just plink them every turn before my other characters could get to that particular uh commander commander character yeah bernadetta was awesome my other two that were just like powerhouses they were just destroyers was caspar and petra they both did a ton of great work for me caspar would just run in and punch things to death and petra was like an assassin so she could like sword people to death or bow people to death or i know there are better words for that but that's the way that it was classified in my mind apparently Um, bow people to death that's a (laughs) nice she could bow people to death and she was very good at it um but yeah i i really really liked the black eagle characters and i don't know if i'm going to feel the same way as i play through blue lions we'll see what happens but i liked most of the characters a lot i don't think you're going to like those blue lion characters are fine but i'm actually missing one of my favorite characters hubert has turned into one of my favorite characters in the game like his personality and the way that he uh his support roles go with edelgard and you especially i i just love him like i thought he was going to be the worst and turns out that i really really like hubert but caspar was probably my donal like Whenever I first started the game, Caspar was dying every single battle. Like, I would send him in, he would attack something, then they would just kill him. And I was just not getting the experience that I needed. And it was kind of like you. It was like, I really like this character. I like what he's doing. I want to have him in my in my party. I want to have him on my team. So I put the work in. And, and for me at the time, it was work just to be able to make sure he leveled up a little bit more. And so he and Petra were my destroyers as well. Like, he and Petra were by far the ones that, that destroyed everything everything on the field before others because they were my wyvern lords and they were both axe wielding wyvern lords where i was just sending them around the uh the battlefield and they would just slice everything and it was like i didn't even have a a puncher whatever they're called the uh i didn't have a one punch man yeah uh, that's what he was for me he was a war master i think is what he was war master that's it I didn't even have one because I was just I was just so happy to have everybody flying around and uh, it was it was great. I learned I hate Pegasus Knights though. Like I thought I was gonna love them, and I can't stand it. I, every Pegasus Knight I've played with has just been like useless on the battlefield. Paper mache, like, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty typical like, for them. They sound like they should be really awesome. They flit in, attack, and flit out, but then they don't flit out far enough, and then they get <laughs> beaten to death. Yeah. And it, it, it's like I'm never using those again, and uh, I I just, no, no, no. But I love Wyverns. The Wyvern Lords and Wyvern Riders are just air tanks. They're so great. 
So flying characters are hit miss depending on which fire emblem you play. Sometimes one or the other can be really powerful and sometimes yeah. they're all kind of weak so i tried a pegasus knight pretty early on in three houses and it was so weak that i was like oh okay flying is horrible in this game and then i never did any mm. flying again it sounds like i went wrong and i probably should have tried Wyvern wyverns before i gave up right yeah they're they're awesome try them on your next playthrough like give flying to a couple of people who are good at it and try the i guess it's technically pronounced wyvern uh do the wyvern riders that that once you get up there they are they're just beasts and i mean knights are too i had a holy knight and a couple of the other like just big fortress knights and stuff where they just beat everything to death but their mobility is so bad that by the time i was able to get my other heavy hitters up there even with the the uh, special the special classes that the main characters and house leaders have i was just be everything was almost dead because of my my wyvern riders yeah okay i gotta give it a shot my next playthrough so the last thing here with Fire Emblem, we're going to talk the very, very ending of the Black Eagle run. It's I don't feel like we have huge spoilers here to give away, but I do want to not have to worry about it while we have this discussion. So if that's something you want to keep and not know about, uh, this is the point to jump off. But I promise this is the last thing we're talking about for this episode. So you won't miss anything else. OK, yep. with that being said, I felt like there was a lot of weirdness at the end of yeah. Black Eagles, like the last five maybe maybe not even five maybe like three or four of the story chapters there were things where i just felt like there was a hole in the story or a huge gap in my knowledge like a character would yeah. show up for one cutscene, and it was someone i had never seen before and it was like we were supposed to know who they were and what they meant in the context and then they would be gone again forever and yeah there was a guy that showed up and then like the next thing that happened was we were somewhere else and someone's like oh the city we were in just got destroyed by like an apocalyptic event and they all kind of shrugged and moved on and i didn't understand at all what was going on for parts of it no and they were talking like that that's really where i was like um could you not have showed me that yeah that it was yeah. it happened like off you screen. go in and you have this huge battle like it's a really big battle they make a really big deal about it in the story where this is such an important tactical uh victory for you and then they destroy it with fire from heaven literally fire from heaven and you don't see it they just kind of talk about it and then move on it's like oh man a lot of people died there that sucks we just put in a lot of work to to win that. It's like, am I the bad guy? <laughs> it's like, is that, did I choose the bad guy route and not realize it? Like, I went with my gut and, like, I became a bad guy. It's like, I'm I'm a bad person. Yeah, I think we're it the baddies like, in this one. It's I think so. It's just the way that it landed. Also, when you make that choice, there's the battle that happens where um, Edelgard turns against you. And it feels yes. really forced and it feels like it comes out of nowhere. So when you're given that choice between like her or the church route, it was it just didn't feel organic at all. It felt really, mm -hmm. really, I guess forced is just the best way to put it. It didn't feel right. So I went with her because I wasn't going to go with the church, like obviously. Um, but more and more between that and then the way that it ended and the last couple missions of the main story, I really think that th there's not always a canon route for Fire Emblem games. There's not always a canon okay. ending. But if there is one for this game, I am very, very confident that it is not this ending. It's not. It can't be because, like like you said, there's weirdness at the end. And it's like, I feel like I should know more about this immaculate one 
that we're fighting against. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, dragon, and people are being controlled by monsters, and it it came out of nowhere. Like, all the stuff that was in the intro movie, like, when I started the New Game Plus, things made a little bit more sense because of I'd forgotten some of the uh, context from that movie. And I was like, oh, that's what they were talking about, some of this. But in general, it's... Uh, it was like, I don't understand why any of this matters. That that I feel like other houses might have have understood more, or maybe I missed relationships that I should have had. Maybe I should have uh gotten gotten higher up with Raina and and learned more from her or uh, and talked to her more. I don't know. It's like it looked like you can even marry her or something at the end because she was a, a grayed out choice for me. Her and yeah. Sothis both. Well, yeah, and Sothis wasn't really, like, part of the story, which makes me think that when you reject the church, you, like, lose access to a whole thing there that yeah. feels like it was just missing. So I think, and this is me reading between the lines and guessing based on my past Fire Emblem knowledge, I think that what we're running into is the main story, the canon story, I'm guessing is probably the Golden Deer because... They are the one that can kind of touch on all of the different points and interact with all of the different factions at the same time while remaining neutral enough to get like in depth, but not just in depth to battle. You know what mm, I mean? They yeah. can like find that middle path and Fire Emblem really likes to have a canon story that finds a middle path between things. So I think that you and I did the bad guy route and I suspect <laughs> that the church might give you a lot more information about like who you are and what it means to be the... What's the class that you turn into after that point? Uh, is it a, like, it's, it's not ascended, ascended one, or awakened it? one or whatever. Awaken, and yeah. Information around Sothis and what's going on with like Flane and all of that kind of stuff. I bet that one's there to fill in information about that. I feel like Dimitri and the blue lines is almost maybe like a very stereotypical like side story to flesh out the world. Like I kind of suspect that it's just going to be your kingdom and the empire's coming for you and you have to defend your sovereignty. Like, I don't think it's going to be a super complicated story for Blue Lions. Right. I really bet all of the intricacy and all of the subtlety is going to come into the Golden Deer path. But that's just me speculating until I've played them. And the reason that I chose Blue Lion as the second one is because basically, you know, you're the Empire going against the uh, sovereign nation up there. That's what you're doing, uh, as you know. But the the reason I chose the Blue Lion is because not just because it's the opposite of what I chose. Like, I want to see the other side of the story that I just played. That's also where the church was. So by... By going with the Blue Lions and going with the church, I'm going to see hopefully some of that information that I missed out on, like the Immaculate one, or if that's even a thing in this one. Because if the, she's on my side, I don't know if, like, how that would work. Like, I'm really curious on how things will play out with the church if I'm. If I am basically the leader of the place where they're hiding out from the Empire. So, so that's why I yeah, chose it. It's like sometimes Fire Emblem will make it so that right near the end, the characters figure it out and you discover that there's a giant dragon or there was an evil person that was working with you. And sometimes it'll go down the path where like you just never find out. It's just not something you learn about unless you do a different path. So hmm. it could go a number of different ways. And I'm I'm curious on the the golden deer as well because I felt like during our playthrough, during our path, that you learned enough 
from Claude and everything that was going on within the Alliance that it was I didn't feel like I needed to play that one immediately, that they talked enough about the behind the scenes politics and the things that Claude was doing that it uh, it made me like, OK, I don't need to know that right now. That doesn't give me any real extra information about the the actual story I'm playing through. So does that make sense? I do, but I think that the Golden Deer is actually going to be the one that gives the most like complete information about it because it can touch on so many different things at the same time. So I'm kind of saving it for the end. Like that'll be okay. my fourth playthrough. I'm kind of planning on doing Blue Lions, then going back to Black Eagles and choosing the church route instead of the Edelgard route. And then saving oh. Golden Deer for the end, because I really suspect that that's probably the canon playthrough. Okay. And I've, okay, so we played through this and we obviously uh, became the bad guys and, and took over everybody as the Empire. When Edelgard asked you to go with her, right, about a chapter before you actually uh, find out that she is uh, doing what she's doing and, and go against the church, did you go with her back to the capital to get her coronation or did you stay back at the monastery? No, I went with her. I think you have okay. to go with her, don't you? Otherwise, you're not given the option to choose her side later. I don't know. That's why I was asking because I, I went with her as well and then I you know chose her side. So I wasn't sure how important that particular decision was. Uh, what fork that gave you. So I wasn't sure. That's why I asked. I'm pretty sure that if you don't go with her, and this is from what I've heard from other people, I think if you don't choose to go with her when she asks you to go with her, then you aren't given the option to choose her side over the church. Okay, because you didn't know that she was doing all of this. and Yeah. And that she's, okay. Because you're right, it seems so forced. I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to side with her. It's like the church is the bad guy. And then it's like, oh, she's a dragon. And I'm like, oh. Okay, make the right <laughs> choice. And then it's like, nope, the dragon was a good guy. I just murdered everyone. And it's uh, like, I felt so bad about killing all of my classmates that it was it was really, really sad. Like, And I made a point to go kill my classmates because they were there. And, <laughs> but like, I felt bad about it. Like I go, I'm like, I don't, I feel like I should kill them as units on the field. You know, it's like, they're there and they wouldn't be here if I'd recruited them so I need to kill them but then I'm like as as a character I'm like man that sucks they had to kill them <laughs> yeah it's both things at the same time it's I don't know it's such a good game so I'm pretty sure this is going to come up again as you and I do a second playthrough and it'll be in Geekery and I promise it will be at the end of the year because it's it's going to make probably both of our lists I'm guessing top five at the very least this is the first game I've ever new game plused okay that says like, a lot I've, never actually started the new game plus i've thought about it i've wanted to and have never actually just gotten into it and this is the first game i've ever been like it was a hamilton situation like okay i've ended that one let's start new game plus and see what's going on it's like i immediately started it over in the same sitting so i mean that says a lot about how how high quality this game is of getting somebody into the franchise who, have, who has never played it Yep. So if you were worried about it not being newbie friendly, you can throw that worry out the window. <laughs> that is true. Yep. Okay. That's probably it for this week. You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links and you can hang out with us there. And while you're there, you can check out all the other content on the network.
I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And you can listen to me even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geekos. Hey Geeks, this is Capsule J. I'm a streamer on the Geek2Geek Media Network. If you like discovering new games and chatting with cool nerdy folks, be sure to check out my channel on Twitch. You can find it at twitch.tv slash CapsuleJ. That's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y. I stream a blend of indies, retro games, and RPGs most Tuesday nights from 8pm to 11pm Eastern, and occasionally on Thursdays and weekends. Hope to see you then! Hi! My name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And together we are Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture. We talk about books, movies, music, basically anything we want at this point. Yes, we obsess about K-pop. And Keanu Reeves. And sometimes Katie cries on the podcast. Hey, that's rude. But really, we are just here to talk about all the things that we love. So make sure to head over to teatimewithkc.com and geek2geekmedia.com to check us out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you download your podcasts. Bye! Bye.